0: You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed.
1: It's Sunday, December 9th. I'm Margaret Brennan, and this is Face the Nation.
2: President Donald J. Trump.
1: It was a dignified Donald Trump who took to the football field Saturday to pay tribute to an American tradition, the Army-Navy game. The commander-in-chief received a warm welcome in the Chile stadium, but there is trouble ahead for President Trump back in Washington. Embattled chief of staff John Kelly is leaving at the end of the year. Efforts to cool off a trade war with China took a dramatic turn. The stock market plummeted, and prosecutors say the president coordinated Michael Cohen's illegal payments to Mr. Trump's ex-mistresses. President Trump denied he directed Cohen to make those payments and also weighed in by tweet, totally clears the president. We'll see if two key members of the Congressional Intelligence Committees agree with that. Florida Republican Senator Marco Rubio and the incoming chair of the House Committee, California Democrat Adam Schiff. President Trump also made his pick for Attorney General, William Barr, who served in the post under George H.W. Bush, And he named former Fox News anchor Heather Nauert to be ambassador to the United Nations. The new number two in the Senate Republican leadership, South Dakota's John Thune will weigh in on their confirmation prospects. And he'll tell us what's on the must do list in the lame duck session. Finally, with economic anxiety and trade disputes making headlines around the world, both U.S. Trade Representative Ambassador Robert Lighthizer and Managing Director of the International Monetary Fund Christine Lagarde will join us. All of that and much more news of the week just ahead on Face the Nation. Good morning and welcome to Face the Nation. We've got a lot to get to today, and we begin with Florida Republican Senator Marco Rubio. He is in Orlando this morning. Senator, welcome to Face the Nation. Thank Uh, you. Good morning. Chief of Staff John Kelly is set to depart the White House at the end of the year. He was often seen as sort of a force of stability. What will his departure mean in terms of being able to work with the White House and get things done?
3: Well, I don't think it'll impact negatively in any way our ability to work with the White House or, or to get things done. I have a lot of admiration for General Kelly. I've always found him to be a professional, someone who works hard and gets things done. And like every administration, you know, the, the president's, uh, there'll, there'll be changes in that position. It's a hard and difficult job. And, and um, so obviously he'll be missed.
1: Uh, there's a lot of news in terms of the developments on the front of the special prosecutor. On Friday, federal prosecutors also said uh, that President Trump personally directed illegal payments through his attorney, Michael Cohen, to women who claim to have affairs with him. Uh, The president is denying all wrongdoing here. What do you make of these charges and do you stand by him?
3: Well, remember, I think it's important to remind people there's uh, two separate probes going on. I think you're in that case, you're discussing the one out of the New York, uh, the Mm -hmm. prosecutor, the U.S. attorney's office out of New York. And then there's the Mueller probe. Look, we're a nation of laws. We have a system by which government can acquire information, put that information and evidence together and make presentations before judges. And in this particular case, there's individuals, not the president, who have been accused of crimes, who have pled guilty to crimes, and this is part of their sentencing process. And separately from that is the right of someone to argue that the evidence is not what you say it is. And so everyone is entitled to that. Just like no one is above the law in this country, no one is beneath it either. That said, um, uh, obviously, you know, you read some of these details. We're going to wait for more information. We're doing our own probe in the Senate Intelligence Committee. And I'm usually cautious about discussing the matter, the Russian interference portion of it, because we're not done with our work yet. I can tell you this that some of the things that have come out over the last couple of weeks, particularly with regards to Mr. Cohen, has, have led the committee to go back and interview witnesses or to attempt to interview additional uh, witnesses again uh, based on other uh, testimony in the past. Clearly, these are things that are to be taken uh, into account and seriously, and I would caution everyone just continue to wait until all this plays out, but, but it's important that, that, we, that this continue
1: to move forward. So I understand you saying there that you stand by the president.
3: Well, again, there's nothing. There's nothing, There's no reason to not stand by anybody in this moment. There are pleadings, there are cases, there are evidence. We're going to wait for all of it to be out there. And I would caution everyone to wait for all of it to be out there until you make judgment. Your judgment mm-hmm. may not change. But nonetheless, judgment should be made on the basis of all the information that is before you. That is most certainly what we're doing in, in the U.S. Senate Intelligence Committee. So as I've said repeatedly, I believe that Mr. Mueller's probe should continue and move forward unimpeded. Both of those findings will be there before the American public... We'll see what it all shows when put together, and we'll move on from there and, and see what needs to be done.
1: We also learned this week that former National Security Advisor Michael Flynn was cooperating with prosecutors on at least three investigations. Does that concern you?
3: Well, uh, ultimately, the fact that he's cooperating with prosecutors, um, I think, obviously on multiple fronts, gets,
1: multiple investigations. Yeah. Now, that was new information, a new development.
3: Yeah, I'm interested in in the truth. I want to know what happened. If If someone didn't do anything wrong here, we don't want to be unfair and unjust. If someone did something wrong here, it is important in the interest of the country and the rule of law that those people be held to account. That's what I've always been in favor of, the truth, finding out everything that happened, making sure that we're not out there accusing people of things that didn't happen. And those are ongoing probes. And, and some of it, we're beginning to see glimpses of, of pieces of information. I would argue that Mr. Mueller probably has more information than the rest of us do, certainly the general public does.
1: In your role on the Intelligence Committee, I know uh, this week we had a significant development with China, this extraordinary move of the U.S. seeking the extradition of a Chinese telecom executive from the firm Huawei. One of the last times you were on this program, you actually said that company and other Chinese telecom firms need to be banned from doing business in the United States. Are you going to try to introduce something in the new Congress to do that?
3: 100 percent. Absolutely. And here's why. We have to understand Chinese companies are not like American companies, Okay, We can't even get Apple to crack an iPhone for us in a terrorist investigation. There isn't a single company in China that doesn't have to do whatever the government tells them to do. They are legally required to do it. And trust me, if they don't do it, they'll find a new CEO to run that company or a new company to take that company's place. When the Chinese ask a telecom company, we want you to turn over all the data you've gathered in the country you're operating in, They will do it. No court order, nothing like that. They will just do it. They have to. But you didn't have enough support
1: on this last time. Do you now have the support of the White House to try to get American companies to stop having this part of the supply chain?
3: I sure hope so. I hope we do, because I think both Huawei and ZTE and multiple other Chinese companies pose a threat to our national interests, our national economic interests, and our national security interests. And in the Huawei case, what they're accused of here, what she's accused of, is violating the Iran sanctions. So at a minimum, we should be doing to them what we did to ZTE when they violated uh, the sanctions law, and uh, which included not having access to American suppliers. And I hope that's what will happen. That's what we're encouraging the administration to do as soon as possible.
1: Uh, The president did make a nomination for attorney general William Barr. He has made some past comments regarding the Russia probe that some view as prejudicial. Uh, What do you make of that? And does he have your support?
3: Well, I can't comment on whether I support him or not yet. I haven't even begun to review his qualifications or his record in the past. I know he's been through the Senate process before. I'm going to watch the uh, judiciary process very closely. At the appropriate time, I'll meet with the nominee and and get my own take on it, and then I'll have a decision to make. I I generally do not uh, support nominees, for the most part, unless I know them personally and well, until they have worked their way through the committee process. So I I know he's gone through this process before. There's plenty of uh, record out there for us to review before we make that decision. So right now, you know, I don't know if I support him or not. I, I, I hope I can because I think that's an important role that we need to fill. But I need to learn more about the nominee and about what he's done in the past before I can make that decision.
1: What about the U.N. ambassador? You may need to learn more about her. But does Heather Nauert uh, have the kind of credentials needed to be America's representative at the United Nations?
3: You know, I think she's been at the State Department now for almost two years. She's traveled extensively. I most certainly think she has the ability to do the job well, which is to be America's advocate in this international forum. Again, she will go through the Foreign Relations Committee. We'll have a chance to interact with her, ask her questions privately and publicly, and then make that judgment. Should it be Uh, cabinet-level position? Well, again, I'll have to meet with her. She'll have to go through our committee before I can answer that question for you. She's just been nominated. I don't know her well. Uh, I don't know much about her work. And I know she's been the the spokesperson at the State Department. But the things you're asking me is, does she have detailed knowledge of foreign policy to a level that will allow her to be successful at the United Nations? I don't know. Uh, I need to meet with her. She needs to go through our committee and answer questions. And then I'll be able to make a judgment on it. Um, And and so I'm sorry. I mean, I'll have to wait until I be able to do all that to tell you 100 percent whether I can support her or not.
1: Senator Rubio, thank you for joining us this morning. Thank you. We want to turn now to California Congressman Adam Schiff, the top Democrat on the House Intelligence Committee. Welcome to Face the Nation. Thank you. Uh, The filing made Friday uh, by federal prosecutors in Manhattan references individual one about 30 times. Individual one is President Trump, uh, and it appears to link him to campaign finance violations. It doesn't charge him with any wrongdoing, though. What's your takeaway?
4: My takeaway is there's a very real prospect that uh, on the day Donald Trump leaves office, the Justice Department uh, may indict him, uh, that he may be the first president uh, in quite some time to face the real prospect of jail time. We have been discussing the issue of pardons that the president may offer to people or dangle in front of people. Uh, The bigger pardon question may come down the road as the next president has to determine whether to pardon uh, Donald Trump. Uh, Now, I think the, the prosecutors in New York make a powerful case against that idea. Uh, All the arguments they make about Michael Cohen, the idea that while people were out walking precincts and doing what they should do in campaigns, uh, the rich and powerful seem to live by a different set of rules. this was the argument for putting Michael Cohen in jail on these campaign violations. That argument, I think, was equally made with respect to individual one, the president of the United States.
1: The president's attorney, Rudy Giuliani, says, though, that this can't be a campaign finance violation because of the precedent set. He cites specifically um, what happened with former vice presidential candidate and Democrat uh, John Edwards, who used campaign funding to cover up an affair. What do you make of that defense and interpretation?
4: Well, it's clear the Justice Department here uh, is making the argument that the principal purpose of these payments was to affect the election. Mm -hmm. Uh, And Cohen has admitted as much. Um, I think in the case with Edwards, there were problems of proof. Here it appears the Justice Department doesn't think there's any problem of proving that this was intended to principally affect the election. Uh, And to have uh, the Justice Department basically say that the President of the United States not only coordinated but directed an illegal campaign scheme that may have had an election altering impact is pretty breathtaking. But that was just one of the things we learned from Michael Cohen this past week.
1: The president denies any wrongdoing and has a very different interpretation uh, of these filings. But what is the bottom line in terms of what this could mean for him? You are going to be uh, having the gavel in the House Intelligence Committee in the new year. Do you believe all of this adds up to meet the standard for an impeachable offense?
4: Well, I think we have to look at the campaign law violations in the context of other allegations of wrongful conduct by the president. We also learned from Michael Cohen that at a time during the campaign when Donald Trump was the presumptive Republican nominee and he was telling the country he has no dealings with Russia, in fact, they were having private conversations seeking to enlist the Kremlin's help in a project that could make him tens or hundreds of millions of dollars, uh, a project that might need Putin's approval while they were arguing that sanctions on Russia should go away. Um, That's pretty breathtaking. And and we need to keep in mind that what Mueller is telling us, what the Southern District of New York is telling us in these filings, is not even the most significant evidence they have, which they're continuing to redact. Um, So
1: you think you need to wait for more evidence before you say this meets the standard for an impeachable offense? Your colleague Jerry Nadler of New York has said in his book, this does meet the standard.
4: Well, I I think we need to wait till we see the full picture. Now, the the question that's presented just by Michael Cohen's plea and the Justice Department filing is, is a crime directed and coordinated by the president which helped him obtain office sufficient to warrant his removal from that office? Um, That's a legitimate question to ask. But I think we need to know what's the quality of the proof on that. Uh, Right now we have the Justice Department expressing its view and we have Michael Cohen with his testimony. But I think we also need to see this is part of a broader pattern of potential misconduct by the president. And it's that broad pattern, I think, that will lead us to a conclusion about whether it rises to the level to warrant removal from office.
1: When you get the gavel in January on House intelligence, will you ask for Michael Cohen to come forward and answer some of the questions that now are being raised?
4: Uh, We will. And we're already in touch with his counsel. We hope to bring him back. Uh, He can shed not only light on this, but One of the most uh, intriguing bits of the sentencing memo was the special counsel's representation that Michael Cohen has evidence concerning officials at the Trump Organization. On the issue, the core issue in Mueller's investigation, that core issue is collusion or conspiracy. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so who are those Trump Organization officials? Are they family members of the president? What is the evidence they have? It looks like this is separate and apart from the evidence on the Trump Tower Moscow deal uh, so we'll certainly want to know about that. deal that
1: never went through, we should say.
4: Yes. And, and, and finally, um, it's clear from the filing that Michael Cohen, uh, in the preparation of his false testimony to Congress, circulated um, that among people affiliated with the administration or White House. What that means- may go to the obstruction of justice issue.
1: If you're calling him to testify again, what is going to make you believe that this time he's not lying?
4: Well, certainly the special counsel believes that um, at a certain point, Michael Cohen made the decision to be honest about uh, the issues that the special counsel is interested in and that we are interested in. Now, we'll make our own judgment about that, but have great respect. From Bob Mueller. And if he feels that Cohen is uh, confiding now honestly about it, uh, that's a pretty good indication that's what he's doing.
1: The president did make his nominee uh, public today, or this week, I should say, for Attorney General William Barr. Uh, there have been some questions raised about past statements he's made defending the president's decision to fire at former FBI director James Comey and other things. Does this add up to enough reason for you to be concerned or do you think he can be the chief law enforcement officer of the country and oversee this probe without impeding it
4: it's certainly reason for concern No, No, there's no question about his qualifications for the job he's already had the job uh and i think there are a great many people who thought highly of him in that position but his comments about comey uh his comments about uh the composition of Mueller's team his comments most concern to me, frankly, that it's perfectly fine, essentially, for a president to recommend prosecution of his political rivals, and what's more, justice ought to look into that. Those kind of comments raise questions about bias uh, and about judgment. Uh, and in the confirmation hearings, I think those need to be probed deeply. I think the Senate also needs to exact a commitment from him that he will not interfere in the Mueller investigation uh, and that he will be sure that the Mueller report is ultimately made public.
1: Congressman, thank you very much. Thank you. We'll be back in one minute with the new number two in the Senate Republican leadership. That's John Thune. He's standing by, so don't go away.
2: Are you having trouble sleeping? NFL players have been coached. Blue light from smart devices, it can affect your sleep. They'll even wear blue blocker glasses in the evening for improved sleep. Others will try tart cherry juice and smoothies. Not only can it help fight inflammation, but to help you sleep, it's got high amounts of natural melatonin that's beneficial for sleep. The other night, my girlfriend told me I was snoring way too much and even the earplugs weren't helping. So the next day, she took me to the Sleep Number store because if I was snoring, at least she could get a good night's sleep on a Sleep Number bed. Sleep Number beds allow you to adjust on each side to your ideal firmness, comfort and support. The Sleep Number 360 smart bed senses your movement and automatically adjusts to keep you sleeping comfortably through the night. With Sleep IQ technology inside the bed, it tracks how you're sleeping so you can know every morning how well you've slept and gain insights for your best sleep. Experience the smart, effortless comfort of the Sleep Number 360 smart bed. Find your competitive edge with proven, quality sleep from $999. Sleep Number is the official sleep and wellness partner of the NFL. You'll only find Sleep Number at one of their 575 Sleep Number stores nationwide. Find the one nearest you at sleepnumber.com slash cadence. That's sleepnumber.com slash C-A-D-E-N-C-E, Sleep number.
1: We go now to South Dakota Senator John Thune. He will be in Senate Republican Whip when the new Congress convenes in January, and he joins us this morning from our CBS affiliate KELO in Sioux Falls. Uh, Senator, welcome to face the nation
5: Good morning, Margaret..
1: Uh, question for you to start off here is uh, based on the news we learned this week surrounding uh, some of the legal problems with the president. Uh, Federal prosecutors in Manhattan said uh, that his personal attorney uh, made illegal campaign finance payments at the direction of individual one. Specifically, prosecutors say individual one, President Donald Trump made payment in coordination with and at the direction of individual one. So everything that Michael Cohen paid for, prosecutors say, was directed by the president. Uh, what do you make of this filing? The president says it exonerates him.
5: It's a sentencing filing, uh, Margaret, but I think, and a couple of your former guests have already suggested this, that it is important until we uh, await um, you know, the additional evidence that comes out. And the uh, special uh, counsel, Robert Mueller, and his team continue to, to do their work. Uh, but I think at this point we have an incomplete picture. And I think at this point the president, as you know, has, as you said earlier, has denied uh, some of these uh, allegations that have been made. Uh, Michael Cohen obviously has plenty of incentive now to cooperate. And uh, the representations that he makes, I think you have to, uh, you know, there are going to be some questions raised about those as well. So I guess my view is that uh, let, let's wait. This thing is still uh, not complete until it is complete. I think it's probably um, m- mostly speculation on the part of uh, those of us who are not privy to all the details that uh, the Mueller uh, investigation are looking at. Uh,
1: well, this was specific to the prosecutors in uh, Manhattan uh, in terms of those specific right. charges. Uh, but uh, moving on here, correct?
5: Yeah, but I think it's the same same thing. I mean, they they've got this is a. This is still um, we don't know all the facts until we know all the facts. I think it's important probably not to, to, to draw any judgments, but uh, we'll know in due time.
1: You have a big job now. As we introduce you, you're going to be uh, the whip here. How quickly can you get President Trump's nominee to be attorney general, William Barr confirmed? What is the timeline we're looking at here?
5: Well, there's certainly a process and confirmation hearings. Uh, you know, the name gets submitted, obviously. There's background checks. It uh, shouldn't be all that difficult. This is someone who has a long record in uh, public life and uh, also has held this position previously. Uh, my guess is that uh, when it's all said and done, if it, when it comes to a vote in the full Senate, that he'll have a strong support. I would hope that he would have strong support from Democrats in the Senate as well as Republicans. He is, uh, we know, very qualified and I think has a uh, proven record of accomplishment as a lawyer both in the private sector and his uh, work in, the, in government as well. So, But we, we will await uh, the process, allow it to move forward, and uh, the confirmation hearings to get underway. Um, but I would suspect his prospects would be pretty good, at least if you looked at it at this point. We're trying to handicap it.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, Well, let's talk about what's happening in the next few weeks, Uh, what some call the lame duck here. There is some work you still need to be able to get done. One of the things that uh, Senator Lindsey Graham has been vocal about is a conversation he had with the president in which he says the president told him he wants to attach criminal justice reform and border wall funding to the year end spending bill. What do you make of that proposal?
5: There are several things that we have to do before the end of this year, before the next Congress starts. We have to fund the government. About 75% of the bills that fund the government have been passed by the Congress and signed in law by the president. But there remain about 25%, one of which is... The, the appropriation bill that funds the Department of Homeland Security, which would include funding for uh, the border wall. Mm-hmm. Uh, criminal justice reform is an issue that, that we have a lot of uh, members in our conference who support, but that's still being worked on. And I'm, if it's going to be considered this year, I think it's probably going to have to, they're going to have to find a consensus that would enable it to move fairly quickly because we just don't have a lot of time. We've got to fund the government. We've got to pass a farm bill. Uh, we've got a lot of nominations we want to move through the process. So there's a pretty detailed list of Things that Congress still has to get done, and uh, criminal justice reform obviously is in that mix at the moment. But how it shakes out in the end, I think uh, remains to be seen. But uh, I would suspect, in order for it to be uh, a part of that year-end train, and everybody tries to hitch a ride on that year-end train, that there will have to be some consensus about it so that it uh, can be expedited and not take the you know the full six days uh, procedurally that it could if uh, if all the um, you know the procedural tools were used by those who are opposed to it.
1: Well, the president's publicly pressuring Republican leaders to act on this. He wants criminal justice reform done. So, it, it, you can't commit to that now?
5: Well, he he does, and we know that, and we've had conversations with him, and there are many, uh, as I said, many Republican senators and a lot of Democrat senators who want to see it happen as well. Uh, there are timing issues associated with it, but at the moment, at least, there are still some substantive issues that are being resolved. I think if they get that worked out, if they can attract the support of uh, more uh, Republican senators, There, there is still an opportunity, I think, for that to be uh, finished this year. But if not, obviously, it, uh, it will be taken up again next yeah. year. And uh, it's an issue that there's a lot of interest in.
1: Very quickly, can you avoid a shutdown before Christmas?
5: Well, I think we can. I think that people have to come together. Uh, Democrats obviously are, need to support uh, and uh, and get behind uh, this border security issue you know mm-hmm. they shut the government down earlier this year over the issue of immigration and that didn't end well for them i think that okay. uh, you know making sure that we defend our borders is a priority for the american people it should be a priority for the congress
1: thank you senator coming up we'll talk about trade and the health of the global economy with u.s trade representative robert Lighthizer, followed by the managing director of the imf christine
2: Lagarde. what's your next adventure
1: Face the Nation. Following President Trump's seemingly successful meeting last week with Chinese leader Xi Jinping, Mr. Trump declared himself by tweet to be a tariff man. That word set the stage for some stock market turmoil. Uh, Major U.S. market indices took about a 4 percent plunge, and there are other uncertainties weighing on the markets, including questions about American interest rates. We'd like to now welcome to Face the Nation Ambassador Robert Lighthizer to the broadcast. He is the U.S. Trade representative, uh, obviously a very key voice in these talks, uh, but I want to quickly get to a matter of domestic politics first. Uh, the New York Times is reporting that you are one of the candidates being considered for the chief of staff job to uh, step into the role being vacated by John Kelly. Is that a job you want
6: I mean let me say first of all, I love um, John Kelly you'll in your whole life you won't meet. 50 people with his qualities of character and grit and uh, and determination and devotion, and so I really think it's, he's done a great job for the president. Having said that, now the, the president has given me what what is a very difficult job. I'm very very happy doing it. I'm, and if I focus on it entirely, there's some reasonable chance I'll get it done well. So I'm I'm I'm, I'm flattered that the president wants me to be United States Trade Representative, I'm working closely with him. And I hope to accomplish the goals that he set out for me in that in that job.
1: Well, you've got a big job, but just to be clear, has anyone at the White House talked to you about Chief of Staff? No. So... What I'm hearing from you is you're not interested in the job.
6: I I haven't spoken to anyone. I'm I'm entirely focused on what I'm trying to do, and and it's difficult enough.
1: It is. Let's get into that then. Um, Today, we heard from Beijing uh, that they have summoned the United States ambassador and and demanded some answers about this question regarding Chinese telecom company Huawei and one of their top executives uh, who was uh, taken into custody in Canada this week at U.S. request. How is all of this going to impact the talks that you're leading?
6: Well, it's my view that it shouldn't really have much of an impact. I can understand from the Chinese perspective how they would see it that way. This is a a criminal justice matter. It is totally separate from anything that I work on or anything that that, uh, the trade policy people in the administration work on. So for us, it's unrelated. It's criminal justice. We have a lot of very big, very important issues. We've got serious people working on them, and I don't think they'll be affected by this.
1: Has President Trump offered that, uh, I guess... Comfort to President Xi? I mean, has he talked to him after the CFO of Huawei was taken into custody? Not that I'm aware of. Uh, Because for Beijing, since they have direct interest in this company um, and they're warning there are going to be consequences, many are wondering if this adds up to essentially a threat that it could impact the talks.
6: It's entirely a criminal justice matter. It has nothing to do with anything I'm working on.
1: So you do have talks scheduled to begin when?
6: We have, we have conversations ongoing. We have had conversations ongoing for over a year on, on, on these matters, uh, and, and they will continue. We have phone calls, and we'll set up other meetings. There's been a lot going on over the time. I really think with all this talk about a trade war, it's important to pull back for a second and say that trade really has increased very much in the last year. It's not down. It's up. Exports uh, are, are, are really up. Imports are up, which I'm not as happy about, but imports are up. Trade is up. Uh, the United States is is very much engaged in trade uh, and is and doing so very successfully at this time.
1: This isn't just any trade negotiation, though. The, the, this is the world's two largest economies uh, who are locked in this dispute at the moment. So one of the biggest sticking points here has been China's uh, – it's accused of intellectual property theft. It's been accused of this for years and years and years. The president says he wants to maintain U.S. dominance in technology – so what exactly do the Chinese need to do for you to come to agreement?
6: So, so let's just put on the, on the table a little bit of background. China has a policy of, of theft of intellectual property from American and other companies, from forced technology transfer and from cyber theft and then state capitalism to buy up technology. Technology is the most important advantage that Americans have economically. We are innovators and we are excellent at technology. So you have a policy from China that's designed really to get at this technology and non-economic grounds. And it is one of the most important elements of the US. So the president said, do a study to us at USTR. We did a whole of government study. We spent eight months, we came out with a report The president then put in place tariffs in order to get China to change this policy. It's extremely important that China does that, that it opens its market and that it takes these steps. So
1: what do they, they promised to do things like that before? This is an inherent part of the Chinese business model. You, you, not? you
6: are you are completely right. The so why first, would they
1: change now? The
6: first time this came up was 1991 under the presidency of George Herbert Walker Bush in the last six years of the Obama administration alone, they made 10 independent claims or commitments to get rid of some of these things. I believe the reason is now this president has a determination that past presidents have not had. He realizes the seriousness of it. We've, We've followed a different strategy. It's not just a dialogue strategy. It's a strategy of tariffs and taking hard lines. And this president is determined. In addition to that, I think he has a very good relationship with President Xi, and I think that will be another positive factor. But but in this case, what what we need, we need structural changes, and we need market opening. So we need agricultural sales and manufacturing sales and the like, and we need structural changes on this fundamental issue of, of non-economic technology transfer.
1: And what happens if they don't agree to that, is these sweeping changes? I mean, should the U.S. consider a ban on Chinese technology companies. You had Senator Marco Rubio on this program saying that he wants to introduce legislation in the new Congress to do something like that.
6: Well, right now, the way this is set up is that at the end of 90 days, and once again, this is, as you say, years, but even in our case, over a year of negotiations. At the end of 90 days, these tariffs will be raised on 200 billion dollars from from 10 percent to 25 percent if we don't get a satisfactory solution my hope right now is to focus on that if there's a deal to be done we'll make it the president wants us to make a deal but as you say it has to be verifiable it has to be monitored it can't be just vague promises like we've seen over the last 25 years so you
1: you have until march but you could extend these talks that's not a hard deadline
6: As far as I'm concerned, it's a hard deadline. When I talk to the president of the United States, he's not talking about going beyond March. He's talking about getting a deal. If there's a deal to be gotten, we want to get it in the next 90 days.
1: The tariffs you're talking about don't have to do with technology, though. In the technology space, will you take action against Chinese firms? Should we expect more actions like the arrest of the Huawei CFO? I know you say that the crime doesn't directly link here, but... There are those who say Chinese telecom should be completely banned from American companies. Well,
6: it's not my position that we should ban telecom from uh, from China into the United States. It certainly is true that there will be continuing criminal justice matters. that will go on. It'll come up. There's been a number of indictments. There's been a number of actions in this space generally. For me, those are separate. They're separate from the negotiations. We're looking for structural change and we're looking for market access. That's what we're looking. The criminal justice process will continue. We have an independent system, as you know, in this country.
1: So when the markets open tomorrow, can they be reassured that these talks with Beijing are happening and that you're making progress?
6: They can be reassured that if there is a deal that can be made that, that will require or uh, assure the, the, the protection of U.S. technology, the very heartbed of all of our economy, it's not just technology, it's everything from services to manufacturing, even farming is a technology industry now in the United States. We will protect that technology and and, and get uh, additional market access from China. If that can be done, the president wants us to do it. That if is, not,
1: we'll have tariffs. That is a very big if.
6: It, it, it will. we'll see. It's certainly, there's a long, it's, it is a very important matter, and there's a long history of, of having things not work out. So you're right.
1: Uh, very quickly, the free trade deal you did renegotiate, which is with Mexico and Canada, the USMCA, new NAFTA. How quickly will that move through Congress?
6: Well, there's a process under the Trade Promotion Authority, so I'm expecting in the next months that it will have a vote on. I would say this in is... In the new the, year. With, certainly within the next few months. This is the strongest and best trade agreement the United States has, has ever negotiated. It's the biggest. It's $1.2 trillion. Worth of economy, worth of trade. It's the best on labor, it's the best on manufacturing. The IP protections are unheard of in the past. We have we have currency provisions in there. We have this whole digital trade, financial services. There's a lot of very, very important innovation in here built on things that people have done in the past. It's the most far-reaching. Uh, agreement the United States has ever negotiated, and I believe will be a model for future
1: negotiations. When will, po- when will the president withdraw from the existing NAFTA that he has said he's going to do?
6: We'll see that. That's, that's a decision. It's up to the president of the United States. All
1: right. Thank you very much for coming on, Ambassador. We'll be right back on Face the Nation with the managing director of the IMF, Christine Lagarde.
7: Memories make us laugh and cry. And sometimes cringe when we look back at our fashion choices but in between flashbacks of bowl cuts and dad jeans. Our memories are fading, and so is the old media that holds them. Hi, I'm Adam Baselogger. And I'm Nick Mako, and we're the founders of Legacy Box. Legacy Box is the easiest and safest way to preserve your family memories. Here's how it works. Fill Legacy Box with your outdated media. We professionally digitize and send them back on DVDs, thumb drive, or the cloud. Look, those forgotten home movies...
1: Yesterday marked the fourth consecutive Saturday filled with protests and riots in France, all sparked by French President Emmanuel Macron's economic policies. Charlie Dagata reports.
7: Good morning, Margaret. Once again, we witnessed scenes of chaos, destruction, and anger here on the streets of Paris. And These yellow vest demonstrations were held elsewhere throughout the country. They overturned cars, set them on fire, tore plywood off storefronts, and clashed with riot police who fought back with water cannon, tear gas, and stun grenades. The interior ministry said today more than 1,200 people were arrested. That is unprecedented in this round of rioting. 120 people were injured, none said to be that serious. We saw a heavy police presence here in Paris. 89,000 security personnel deployed throughout the country. Now, away from the Champs-Élysées, we saw that protesters had smashed windows. They lit fires to barricades. We even saw some young people looting some shops. Now, these yellow vest demonstrations began weeks ago in a protest of a fuel tax hike. President Emmanuel Macron has scrapped that idea, but now there's this whole spectrum of complaints from people that we spoke to, largely having to do with low wages, high taxes and a distrust of the government. Many are calling for Macron to resign. His approval rating has plunged to around 20 percent. Now, we're told the president will address the nation tomorrow night, but it's hard to know what he plans to do to calm such widespread anger. Margaret.
1: Charlie Daggett, thank you. We're joined now by the Managing Director of the International Monetary Fund, the IMF. Christine Lagarde is with us. The IMF is an organization of 189 countries that works to promote global economic cooperation and trade. Madame Lagarde, welcome to the broadcast. Thank you. We just saw those pictures of protests in your home country of France. The French uh, finance minister says this is going to have a real economic toll on the country. Uh, You used to have that job. What do we make of the kind of anger and economic grievances that we're seeing in the streets there?
8: Well, those are very sad uh, images. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a true Parisian, and, and to see what's happening in Paris is, is extremely sad. It will have economic impact, no doubt about it. And uh, I really hope that uh, the dialogue can be uh, reestablished, that people can express their, their views, their grievances can be heard, that they can be addressed as well. I think there is a lot of, you know interesting developments, it's not all about the yellow vest. There are lots of people who, who have infiltrated those movements and, and who are, you know, demonstrating with violence, and, and that is not the way it should be conducted.
1: I think these pictures are interesting. If you look at the globe right now, it brings up something I know you've been warning about, which is you see us on the verge of an age of anger.
8: Mm-hmm.
1: What do you mean by that? What are the risks that you're
8: seeing? Mm-hmm. Well, the risks are that um, rising and excessive inequalities between people, uh, aging of societies and, uh, you know, an economic situation that cannot address the concerns of many. And I believe that it's a question of protecting people having a dialogue, making sure that there is cooperation between nations as well, because what affects one is going to affect all. When you see a pandemic, when you see uh, financial disruption, when you see uh, climate change, it is going to affect all countries. And I think it's critical that all of us be together when facing those issues. The same goes with cybersecurity. The same goes with terrorism. We we are in this together and we have to close ranks and be together.
1: You heard on this program just a few moments ago the chief negotiator for the U.S. in what are incredibly important talks between the world's two largest Mm -hmm. economies, China and the U.S. As you say, what happens in one has global impact these days. What do you make of these these hard-line arguments here um, that, as the ambassador said, everything has failed when it comes to trying to iron out trade differences? We have to take this hard deadline. Everything has to be agreed to by March or we will be set for a potential escalation in this
8: trade war? You know, I used to be trade minister for my country uh, back in 2005, and I know how difficult those negotiations can be and how long it takes to uh, cut a deal. So I, I wish the ambassador the best of luck in reaching completion of something which will not be ultimately a final trade arrangements, agreement, whatever we call it. I hope they can establish the parameters, the framework, the timeline, uh, the the, the steps along the way, because that's what it takes. But it takes both parties, U.S. and China, to be determined to reach uh, closure on this. And it's vitally important because trade is a major engine for growth. Uh, Trade, if it is damaged, if it is threatened, is going to affect growth, less growth, less jobs, less investments, because people suddenly Who are in the business of investing, who are in the business of creating jobs, will lose confidence, will be concerned as to what the rules of the road will be. And they need that.
1: So when you hear the threat of further tariffs, that causes you concern that this will eat into economic growth?
8: Yes, it does. Because, you know, if it you can model that, and, and it's as true as a model can be, and reality will, will determine eventually what, it, what the impact is. But if you model uh, complete tariff increases, tit-for-tats and all the rest of it, you end up with about 0.8% less growth in a matter of two years. Now, that's a big number. That means less jobs, less investments, and this is not what anybody wants. So I very much hope that the dialogue, the agreement can be... Uh, Re- re-established, and that we can come to uh, to terms with this.
1: You are seeing in the marketplace right now some concern that the engines of growth here in the U.S. have been chugging along, but the markets showed some real worry mm-hmm. this week. What do you forecast here? Are we headed towards the recession that some
8: fear? Not in the short term. This is not what we see. Uh, we have a forecast for this year and next, which is around three point seven percent. It's not bad, actually. And uh, we don't see signs of recession in the near term uh, based on the information we have at the moment. But it is true that if there are more tensions, if trade is under threats, if people sort of wonder where should I invest and should I completely change my supply chain, Uh, that will have an impact. It will have an impact on people because, you know, if you look at the low income uh, family today, thanks to trade, the cost of living are reduced by two thirds. So, you know, the clothes that we're wearing, the, the many of the things that we're using are made in Vietnam, Morocco, China, wherever. If we lose the benefit of that, then it will have an impact on consumers. We're not seeing it now, it's true, but that's the threat.
1: We're coming up on the anniversary of the global financial crisis. You were key in France at the time uh, as finance minister in in the global response. Do you see a direct line between what happened then and the kind of dislocations and anger that you're seeing now?
8: Yes, I do. I do because I think that uh, some of the legacies of the crisis have not yet yet been completely healed and the wounds are still there. Number one. Uh, Number two, I think that some people have lost out at that time and have not been able to recover. And they see that some others have been able to recover. So there is that inner sentiment of uh, unfairness. And, uh, you know, we have done our best at the IMF. We've really put a lot of money on the table to rescue countries in particular because this is our job. You know, the job of the IMF is it's a bit like if you have a family and somebody in the family is is gambling all the time Mm -hmm. and nobody is eventually going to lend to that, that person. So that gambler comes to me as the family unit trustee and says, I need money. What are you going to do? You're going to lend because he says, I can't operate. I can't work out. I can't feed the family. But you lend on the basis that he's going to be de-addicted from his gambling. Mm -hmm. He's going to rehab itself. That's what we've been doing ever since the crisis started 10 years ago. We've been telling countries, you can't borrow. OK, we're going to lend you short term. But we're going to ask you to fix your finances. We're going to ask you to work on your deficit. You cannot continue spending more than you earn. And we've done that thing is that we are still doing it because some countries have not gone through that path yet. Uh, this week,
1: you were named one of the most powerful women in the world by Forbes magazine. Um, you've been outspoken about the need to be uh, inclusive of women in global yes. economies. What was that? What does that actually quantify at? Like, what does it add up to to have more women in the workforce? I'll
8: give you two numbers. In this country, in the U.S., if there was equal uh, participation of women in the labor market, GDP would be up by 5%. If it operated in the same way in India or in Egypt, for instance, GDP could be up by 27%. So this is not small numbers. It's It's a big addition to an economy that we want to grow and where we want jobs to be created. Women can be a phenomenal force for uh, growth, for our economies to do better, for more prudence as well. Women are known to be a lot more prudent and less uh, Mm risk-takers, which sometimes is not a bad idea. But I would like to celebrate one thing. Chancellor Merkel is now being replaced at head of the party by another woman. That doesn't happen very often. So I'd like to take my hat off to her.
1: And it's certainly an economic engine there in Europe. Thank you very much, Madame Lagarde. We'll be right back with a report
9: from Yemen. Stay with us. I used to think that all diet and weight loss plans were the same. Well, not anymore, because I found Noom. Noom is a new and totally different approach to losing weight and getting healthy that uses psychology and small goals to help change your habits. So it's easy to lose the weight and keep it off for good. Noom combines the power of technology with real human support, offering as little or as much help as you want along the way. And since Noom is an app, it's always with you and easy to use. Which makes it super easy to stay on track and reach your goals. Plus, it's really simple to get started. Just go online, answer a few quick questions, and they'll create a personalized program just for you. Noom helped me lose my old way of thinking about food and dieting. So, what do you have to lose? Visit noom.com/podcast. N O O M dot com/podcast and start your 14-day trial today. Like they say, change your habits, change your mind, and change for good with Noom.
1: Before we go today, we want to take a look at Yemen, site of what the United Nations has warned is the world's worst humanitarian crisis. Senior foreign correspondent Elizabeth Palmer, producer Agnes Rowe, and cameraman Ian Robbie are in Yemen for CBS News. Here's a report. Here in the coastal city of
10: Aden, there is no fighting. It's the government of Yemen, elected before the war, that's in control. One of the cruel contradictions of Yemen's civil war is that there's plenty of food in stable areas like this, at least for people who can afford it, and that's just one thing Prime Minister Abdul Malik Main Sayed, two months into his new job, has to try to fix. There's a real catastrophe, hunger looming. Yes, that's what's happening. Is it manageable? Can you can you deal with it? We try to deal with it. It's catastrophic now. A catastrophe caused by fierce fighting. Yemeni government troops have Saudi Arabia's military backing against Houthi fighters supported by Iran. The Saudis' ruthless bombing campaign relies on U.S. weapons and intelligence, though that may be about to change. The Americans are uh, backing away from the Saudis in the wake of the murder of Jamal Khashoggi. Is that going to hurt you? The U.S. want to stand with Yemen. They should decide. It's an important location and country. They have a relation with the U.S. for decades. So you're really saying that there's a, a big role for America to play directly with the Yemeni government, yes. not going through the Saudi. The United States cannot ignore the uh, Iranian regime, what's going into the region, and Uh, let them do what they want in Yemen. The fact is, the Yemeni people are trapped in a regional power struggle between Saudi Arabia and Iran. The Prime Minister's government is clearly on the Saudi side for military and financial reasons. But his plea to the U.S. is, don't let your distaste for Saudi Arabia lead you to abandon us. But the war rages on with cruelty and abuse on both sides. If there's any hope for the Yemeni people, it rests with peace negotiations going on right now in Sweden, where the two sides
1: are actually still talking. Our Liz Palmer in Yemen. That's it for us today. We'll see you next week. For Face the Nation, I'm Marta Frennan. Today's guests were Republican Senators Marco Rubio of Florida and John Thune of South Dakota. U.S. Trade Representative Robert Lighthizer, IMF Managing Director Christine Lagarde, and California Democratic Congressman Adam Schiff. The executive producer of Face the Nation is Mary Hager. This broadcast was directed by Allison Hawley. Face the Nation originates from CBS News in Washington. For more Face the Nation, we're online at facethenation.com, and you can follow the show and CBS News on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Face the Nation is also rebroadcast on our digital network, CBSN, at 11 a.m., 3 p.m., and 6 p.m. Eastern every Sunday.
0: If you like Face the Nation with Margaret Brennan, you can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at wondery.com survey. One. Two, three,
9: four. Those are numbers. But you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. AutoTrader.
10: You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive.